So hello, welcome to this impromptu episode of Something Who. Uh, I just heard the sad news this afternoon that uh, Terence Dix had died. We wanted to, to put on a, a celebration of of Terence and what he'd meant to us as Doctor Who fans. So I'm joined by Tim. Hello! And also by Paul. Hello there. And we'll aim to do that in the next few minutes. So for the next short while... We're going to discuss some of our memories and thoughts about uh, Terence Dix, who was, among other things, script editor, script writer, playwright and author for Doctor Who. Um, And I'll start with a a short anecdote of uh, how I spent a holiday in the summer of 1976 in France. Um, I brought two books with me to read, uh, Mm. which was, as, as it was to prove, was a little bit on the short side. But thankfully, I brought with me Genesis of the Daleks and Web of Fear, uh, both of them written by Terence Dix. Someone's going to say Doctor Who and the, but you know. I was hoping you were going to say uh, the Web of Fear and Lady Chatterley's Lover or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, no. that, 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 that might have been a more entertaining holiday, but seeing yeah. a, as I was only eight years old at the time, uh, yeah. probably you know my my choice of literature was sound. Both of those books I read about four or five times on the holiday because it was two, it was a fortnight's holiday and I was an avid reader at the time. But they're such fantastic stories, so well written by Terence Dix, that I, I've got such rich memories, I guess. The, the Weather Fear in particular, I think, became the archetypal Doctor Who story in my mind. and But Genesis as well, which, I'd, of course, I had actually seen on, on TV the year before. Uh, but somehow the, the, his retelling of it added something to it. So, yeah, that, that's, I guess, one of my formative memories of, of uh, encountering Terence Dix. One of you? Well, target books for me as well, in that his name was just all over them. And I've Mm. been thinking today about not necessarily a specific instance, but the involvement of the target books growing up and, and, you know, grandparents, my my nanny buying me uh, second-hand books from Bolton Library and trips Mm. to Bolton Library to go and see the target books in there. And I think... I think it's that which has affected me and looking at comments online I think that's the comment that has most come out you know um, not dramatically hyperbolic statements about him being the the guy who got a generation reading or taught Mm. a generation to read and for that reason it's quite surprisingly impactful yeah um, the passing Uh, what sort of age would you have been Tim when you Started reading Terence's. Well, novels. Target books. Uh, I would have, I would have had them and sort of put off reading them from any age, four, five, six. I would have mm-hmm. had them. I wouldn't have been reading them and involved. And then perhaps in the later eighties, uh, or mid, uh, yeah, later eighties, I would have read, started reading the Targets. Uh, in, in the end of my first year secondary school, we had to do a report for in the English class about the books we'd read that year. (laughs) (laughs) And me being a clever dick, I reeled off about 30 target titles. I can't remember remember which, whether they were Terence Dix or not, but, you know, a a fair proportion of them would have been. (laughs) And my parents went to the, the school evening and came back and said... We want a word with you, <laughs> because Mr. Winder, my my first year secondary school English teacher, who was of uh, classical uh, education, was t- 
telling my parents what a what an impressive and voracious reader I was because I've just reeled off trying to show off all these target books that I've I'd either read or had. So that's I've been thinking about that sort of thing today. Oh, you, you got away with it, did you? I was about I was thinking I had a similar experience, but I mine got a, didn't I got happen. away with it with 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 Mr. Winder. We, we used mine to suspect he was drunk all the time, but I didn't get away with it with my parents because they knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> Yes, we had a, yeah, I mean, my teacher didn't tell me I shouldn't be reading them because that's not really his purview. But we did have a, there was a badge you could get. He was trying to encourage reading, so he set up this uh, readership scheme. Mm -hmm. And you got a little badge, enamel badge. um, Like a Blue Peter one. It was supposed to be that prized. It wasn't. (laughs) But anyway, you just, you know, you told, you handed in the list of books you'd read and you got a a point for each one, two points if if it was a classic and I, you know, I, I handed my list in. I'd read a lot of proper stuff, but then when it got to the half, the list was padded out with Doctor Who, and I, he, he grudgingly gave me half a point each for all of them, even Aww. though they were. I th- I'm still rankles to this day, <laughs> Mr. Rowan. If you're out there, you swine. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say uh, my first experience of Terence. I wasn't sure where to start. I mean, chronologically, it would have been watching Horror Fang Rock, but then there's a gap of a few years until I. Mm get reading the targets. Terence wasn't the very first one. I think I started with Doctor Who and the Daleks, which yeah. is probably because I knew the film so well and it would have leapt off the shelf at me. The mm. second one, rather randomly, I remember this day was State of Decay, and that oh, was right. because it's one of the few, I think, it came out so close, hard on the heels of the television version, that um, mm. it was still fresh in my mind, so I mm. went for that. I remember writing uh, stories about mysterious strangers called The Three Who Rule at school <laughs> after that. I was a I was a very original writer even then, bursting with <laughs> ideas of my own. But then, so Terence, yeah, was definitely the one who got me up to speed on reading the targets because they were so readable. Some of them were among the best that the range had to offer. Some of them, I'm sure he, <laughs> he, would, be the, he would be the first or second to admit that they, not all of them were, but they were all readable. It's the one thing yeah. you could, ne- you could it, never it, take away from it. It doesn't matter, does even it? That no one's going to pretend they're... they're high-minded literature are they but it got people reading he got people mm. reading yeah yeah the, the the early ones were certainly you know pro- probably had more literary merit to them but uh, you know they, they as you say they were all they were all very readable they even the 108 page ones you know they they they, 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 they got through it in a rollicking good pace and for for young readers that was that was probably about as much as you wanted to read in a book if he if he had a skill as a writer, which he undoubtedly did, it was making things very very clear with a with a minimum number of words because you yeah. didn't have that many number of words in a target book, and you were left under no misapprehension about what was going on or what he was trying to describe. Hmm. Obviously, you'd know what Peter Davison looked like already, but when he <laughs> describes him with a a pleasant open face yeah. or whatever it is, you think a, a blurry rehearsal photograph of him on the front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you think. Bing, he's nailed it. I think. Yeah. I think thinking about it, the first one I was probably I probably read because I am uh, a bit younger than you, Paul, and thirty or forty younger years younger than you, Richard. <laughs> but the 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 first one I probably read was the Five Doctors. I probably made a beeline for that because right. that's probably the first thing yeah. that I was conscious of from the TV or mm. we we. It's certainly not the first video we owned, but I think that would have been the first one that I sort of well remembered from the telly and mm. so would have, have made a beeline for that um, yeah. when I when I became aware of the books 
Sure. I mean, funnily enough, The Five Doctors was the only one that I've uh, I've ever had where I started reading the book before it, the thing was, that was yes, on TV. It's, it's infamous yep. for that, isn't it? It's yeah. I assume I did. I don't. I can't imagine I'd been able to resist it. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say about Terence's books is that um, even in the period when he was churning out 12 a year, yeah. it's he would always find something to add, even if it was a, a little clarification, like you said, Tim, or, or even an, a funny line of dialogue that wasn't in the original yeah. script. It's n- he would never simply transfer it to the page and think, job done. Hmm. Uh, there are so many lines that I remember, funny, <laughs> funny lines from those late 70s stories that when I came to watch them on video 10 years later... I was disappointed to find they weren't there, and they're always in Terence's novels. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes even in his novels of his own book, his own programmes, of course, because it's never too late to improve upon something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah I mean, the other thing that, that, that he wrote uh, that made a big impression upon me as, as a, a youngster was the making of Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, it's a fantastic, or at least it was at the time, explanation of how they made the television programme, you know, as, as well as a run-through of all the... The history up to that point. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's perhaps now you come to look back on it, thirty or forty years later, a bit thin. But at the time, as a against, still probably eight or nine years old when it came out, it it, kept, it had me captivated, and it, it, it was a fascinating read. Mm. And of course, it was the first mention of, of missing episodes as well, so uh, it, it had quite a big emotional impact on me. One comment that, that I saw on Twitter. It may have been Matthew Sweet, or it may have been someone retweeting him with with further comment is that uh, and I associate with this and this is true for me in the, in all the books they have in the house and I have plenty of books the the biggest number by the same author is Terence Dix mm-hmm. I imagine most people will have you know 50 or 60 books by Terence yep. Dix in the house that's um, that's quite something isn't it mm. to have all of us with all of these great books that we cling on to for Mainly nostalgia reasons, I suspect, but that's that's quite an impact on many, many, many people. Mm. Uh, it, it's brilliant. Yes, indeed. Is that books done? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so perhaps the 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 next thing I wanted to say was that I only ever saw him once, and it was uh, at a convention in the nineteen eighties in London, and I can't say that I remember a huge amount about it now. Uh, 30 odd years later but of course we've seen him so much on all of those documentaries Mm. uh, on the DVDs and VHS as well but yeah I mean I guess what came across to me was that he he wasn't trying to big up what he'd done in the program he wasn't trying to be the star he was very happy with his position you know in Doctor Who history he was seemed very comfortable with who and what he what he was and he was always looking for an entertaining story to 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 get the the crowd smiling. He stuck with uh, three he, or four in the end, though, didn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I jest. Well, I've never met him, but the one thing that I take away is yes, he had no self awareness when it came to telling the same fantastic stories all over and over again. Uh, but secondly, he's always upbeat. On everything I've ever seen him in, he's always yeah. jolly. He's always smiling and has the sort of uh, <laughs> smiling eyes, doesn't he? When he's when he's telling yes. his uh, when he's telling his stories, and you know that that's, that seems like a, a a great way to be. And 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 nobody I've ever spoken to have met him or, or ever says you know he was a bit of a, a bit of a diva or anything. He always mm. just seemed very smiley eyed and happy to be remembered for what he did. 
30, 40, 50 years ago. It's fantastic. Mm. And it seems as, as if there's only those, there's only the two really sort of great partnerships in the history of Doctor Who, you know, the, the, the Terence Dix and Barry Letts and then Robert Holmes and mm. uh, Philip Hinchcliffe. You know, n- none of the others seem to have quite got on with each other in, in, in the same way. But, uh, you know, but Terence and Barry seem to be a, a, a perfect double act, really. I think by, uh, in comparison with Hinchcliffe and Holmes, the, the slight difference would be I think they were closer as friends and yeah, possibly yeah. not quite as tight artistically. I think Hinchcliffe and Holmes did see the programme exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah. So, I think I think Barry and Terence were rubbing along, and <laughs> more than rubbing along for five years, but really they did have slightly different ideas on the programme. And by the end of it, Terence was letting Barry have his story once a season, wasn't he, to do his his thing, <laughs> yeah, get his his Buddhism out of his system, which yeah. Yeah. ideologically opposed people. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I've heard Terence Dix advocating empire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and that isn't Barry's way. But what a great yeah. what a great partnership that formed because you had the you had the two ideas rubbing off against each other, as Paul says. And uh, I don't want to get into it. But it's that sort of creative friction that that allowed them to have great political allegory running through their things and having a mm. ripping yarn at the same time. And you could tune into one or the other or both. Yeah. And you, you still had that choice, uh, which is something that's sadly lacking mm. more recently. And I reflect on that a lot. Terence would never let Barry get too, um, no, even assuming that was ever a possibility, wouldn't let him get too up himself with the with the spirituality <laughs> yeah. or that side of it. it would always bring it back down to earth and it always reminded that at the end of the day you're just tying the the girl to the railway tracks and the hero so the hero can rush in to save her from the moustache twirling villain hmm. of course the fact that he would constantly sum up his own approach to writing in terms as as reductionist as that is just a sign of his modesty yeah mm. he knows that <laughs> he was a much more intelligent writer than that but he he doesn't want to discuss it he's not interested in discussing the text he just writes it gives it to you you enjoy it you move on mm. and i always find that refreshing mm. and i suppose um again it's easy to over exaggerate these things but he he is part of that team that not only sustained doctor who or rejuvenated doctor who in 1970 and uh, put, left it in the best shape it had been up to that point by 1974. Yeah. And Hinchcliffe and Holmes were standing on the shoulders of giants in that sense, and that they built upon it, and then carrying on to the sem- mid-70s through when Tom Baker started disappearing off, you had the whole culture of Doctor Who being sustained through the 70s and 80s by his books. Mm. So he, he he's had a, a really immeasurable yeah. impact. Yeah. I, I was thinking in rather a morbid way when, when we, you know, we messaged each other to say, shall we do a quick podcast just to get it off our chest sort of thing, that I can't really, I, can, I don't want to be morbid, but I can't think of many other people passing away now that would have had as big an impact on social media or in the news or whatever or mm. certainly how I feel about it I can think of one or two but no more than that yeah well I mean I, I was just listening to to the radio this this evening five live and you know there was mention made oh, it was of, on there of, was it yeah right. yeah I mean you, you know I mean just just in passing but people of all walks read those books you know it's not mm. just the rabid fans it, 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 uh, 
a lot of a lot of boys, I suppose, in particular, but also girls read those books growing up and and would ad- identify even if they weren't consider themselves fans now. Oh, he's he's well known. I think. I mean, his name would have been almost ever present on the TV in the in the seventies with yeah. Doctor Who or the classic serial or whatever else he did. Hmm. <laughs> Funnily enough, my mum rang me the other day and I mentioned Doctor Who books, and she went, "What was the name of that that writer?" Ter- Terence. Terence Dix was it, mm. and it, you know she had a sort of uh, subconscious memory of the uh, of the name. So he's, he's, yeah. he's a he's a he's a big name. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I hope he gets lots of of coverage and sure tributes. Yeah, and and, and there's a through line as well, for, right from you know mid Patrick Troughton, with you know he worked on I think from Weber Fear onwards. So you know the season and a half of the Trouton era, as, as well as the Pertwee era and, and into Baker, mm. as and all those books. I mean, it, it, it's quite an extraordinary length of, of time. Well, his association with the program itself was is about sixty-eight to eighty-three, fifteen years. There can't be many people who were mm. were longer than that. I think mm. only Robert Holmes, who just scrapes in, yeah, mm. one year longer. Yeah. Yeah, so. but couldn't be bothered writing the books afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, famously, yeah. yeah. Was he writing the first chapter of the Time, Time Warrior and yeah. passing yeah. it over? Yeah. Ter- Terran said X. Yeah, <laughs> a chapter. It might have been a, an outline or a page or something. I can't. Yes, yeah, so I was being generous <laughs> to the chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the other thing I wanted to to talk about was how. You know, famously, he was the guy who 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 kept the program on air. You know, I suppose there's there's three examples that spring immediately to mind on that: Seeds of Death, War Games, and uh, the Five Doctors. You know, on each occasion, the the you know threatening to run out of time for before a script appears, and on each of those occasions, once once with Malcolm Hulk, but uh, you know, and, and once I suppose using a, a screenplay by Brian Hales, but nonetheless, he. He pulled it out of the bag and 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 made sure they weren't just watching the test cards, as I think he used to say. Yep, professionalism. That. And a number of times I used that expression. I st- <laughs> hmm. I must must find another one. Yeah, um, I, I mean the five doctors in particular. I think you know, it, it, it's not just a great celebration of twenty years, but which of course it is fantastic. But you know, actually. It, by some miracle, it, it, ma- it makes some kind of sense as well. It's, you know, it's not just a, a walk on and walk off of of a hundred bit part actors. It actually has some kind of flow to it, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that was a, a tour de force. A great technical writer, and it's not taking anything away from his ability to, from his artistry, which uh, though he would hate to be described as an artist, from his ability to come up with good original ideas, which of course mm. he can, having created so many. Mm things that are still part of the Doctor Who tapestry to this day, but if you gave him a shopping list, Robert Holmes would, would make his excuses and leave, but Terence would rub his hands and say, right, yep, I can do that, I'm your man, mm-hmm. and he would make it work and he would enjoy it, and I, that appeals to me, mm. somebody who, it's like solving a puzzle as, as at the same time as creating something to keep the yeah. test card from, at bay. Yeah, I mean, th- there's, there's ten episodes of the w- War Games as well, I mean, you I remember coming to that one and think and feel with a sort of sinking feeling, thinking, "Oh gosh, ten episodes! This is going to be a really tough watch." And yet, you know, the first three or four of them really zip along. I mean, they're, they're packed full of ideas. Fantastic. I mean, it, there is a point maybe about episode eight where it starts to pall a little bit, but then before very much longer, you're, you're into the denouement of it. it, it, it it's amazing to. 
to have a story so long that is so little padded, mm. and so, certainly for me, anyway, you know, stands out as 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 a good example of of that particular season. When on the whole, you know, the, 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 there were a few flat flat stories there, but I don't think the War Games was one of them. In terms of him making something work, even if it wasn't necessarily his own idea, of course, he basically made the unit years work when he was he later was on record as saying he wouldn't have done that if it had been down to him. Mm. He wouldn't. He thought the exiling the Doctor to Earth was a mm, bloody stupid yeah. idea, but he made it work. And gradually, he could see the production reason rationale for it and gradually weaned the show back towards what it should have been. Mm. In such a way that it becomes part of the Doctor's journey. It actually makes sense for the character the journey goes on over those five years. He doesn't just one him and Barry don't one day say, oh, we've had enough of this, come on, let's just change the format to something else. Mm. So someone on someone on um, Facebook earlier, uh, I won't name them, but they, they said that he elevated Doctor Who to a show which older viewers could take seriously, in that season five was about monsters, mm-hmm. and he would give monsters sophisticated spokesmen, relatively sophisticated spokesmen, so yeah. he says, perhaps Davros. If he gave, I mean, he, he, if he seeded that idea with Terry mm. Nation. It wouldn't have been Robert, would it? I went back with perhaps Sla in The Seeds of Death. Yeah, but indeed. Then, but then he created the master. So, so you're moving away from, it probably helps the, it probably helped the budgets that, that it shifts slightly away from a reliance on, on four, four extras in costumes to having actors who can articulate lines and so on. I thought that was an interesting point, which I'd never really thought of about for, uh, before. I don't know whether it's true, but I'll meditate on it a little bit. Mm. I thought that was an interesting view that I'd not seen before. Yes, I mean, it was certainly something that was in the air, this whole <laughs> business of the half-masks. And uh, I'd, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if Barry yeah. said if Barry said to him, well, this is a new, you know, this makeup's getting better, we can have monsters that can talk, then... Then Terence sort of fed it back into the scripts, yeah, because they had that sort of partnership. Yeah. Mm. Anything else to talk about? We haven't talked about his own scr- uh, no, scripts, no. have we? We, we touched on the five doctors. Ah, Do you want to yeah, go yeah, through yeah, them each? Yeah. We, um, yeah, we've done a few of them in passing, but go on, Richard, bring that in then. Okay, so some of the, some of the things that he that he wrote himself. I'll talk about Robot. <laughs> I suppose it's probably the first of his stories that I remember seeing at the time. Uh, I, I remember uh, Tom Baker's debut. I mean, it's not necessarily all that highly regarded, but again, it, you know, it's classic Terran Sticks in that it does what it has to do. It introduces a new Doctor. There's there's a four part adventure that works uh, under its own t- uh, terms. It, 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 it has a monster, it has a sympathetic monster, uh, which is kind of quite interesting, uh, and it introduces the Harry Sullivan into the team, uh, who's who's mm. going to be an important part of that season. And it, and it gives him things to do, and, and actually it, uh, it gives the character of Sarah Jane Smith an opportunity to do a bit of journalism as well. You know, we've we've heard that she's a journalist, we haven't really seen it happen very much up to this point. But uh, but he remembers that, that that's what they created her as, and, and gives her an opportunity to show that off. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's it, it has its flaws, but it but it but it's, it's, it's it, you know not many of them are to do with the script. Is <laughs> that the one? Is that the one where he conned? Hinchcliffe into yeah, yeah. saying that <laughs> <laughs> it's a tradition. the outgoing, the yeah, outgoing yeah. script editor always writes the first story of yeah, the yeah. next season, so he got he got yes, another something, paycheck. Something you should never <laughs> overlook. What a great, honest, you businessman he was. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. But again, going back to what Paul was saying, he's he's given a job to do. He has to literally, literally sign off his own era 
mm. and set it up for the next man and he, he does it in no great you know one thing that's very odd about Robot and I never quite got my head around is that he seems to invent or presage the ultimate form of the fourth doctor the sort of the it, the version that's actually within Tom Baker himself which comes out later in the Williams era he invents that in this story yeah mm. seemingly from whole cloth and then then it disappears again for another few years as they as Hinchcliffe brings it back down to earth I've never quite known where it came from was he watching Tom Baker rehearsals and inventing this or did he just put that idea out there and it was ahead of its time it's very odd there's mm. so much more comedy in in and around the doctor yes. in that one story yes, than true. would have been required mm. Mm. For the job he was being given, it's very strange. Anyone, any thoughts? Has anyone ever? Explained oh, I don't know how, how. Whether it, I, I don't know the scripts. Uh, mm. I don't know how it was developed in the read-throughs mm. or whatever. Presumably, Tom had some input into it. Yeah, um, I mean, if, of course, this is the one that Barry Letts produced. So, so I guess it, you know, it, it may be that it's it's Barry Letts's vision of what Tom Baker's going to be, and then Philip Hinchcliffe comes in with Arkin. Well, it's a tradition, a of course, idea. that the outgoing producer gets to produce the first episode yeah. of the It's recorded at the end of of that of the yes, previous yes, season, yes, though, yes, isn't it? Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm being pedantic. And, uh, you are. <laughs> Yeah, for a long time, horror horror fang rock used to get overlooked. I think yeah. um, Paul Cornell, I remember, started championing it quite vigorously. He <laughs> he kept trying to convince Terence Dix that it was his best script and an overlooked masterpiece, which Terence would have none of. But I I think it might well be, mm. not because it's Terence trying to do a Hinchcliffe style story, but it is that self-contained the self-contained nature of it. It's um, I think it's one of the best combinations of the gothic horror that we just had three years of, and mm. the, I don't want to say base under siege. It's can base you edit, under siege. Can you, can you edit me in saying <laughs> using a less cliche explanation? Yeah. But they are two things that Doctor Who does very well. Um, yeah. By and large, it's a very efficient use of the budget, except that he wrote it in a lighthouse, of course. So we'll skip over that. A lot of these script editors seem to have a slight blind spot in terms of writing things that they must have known you can't. <laughs> but that's always been one of my favourites, and the book, yeah. and the book as well. Is it the only headquarters under a sort of military ring fencing story that Terence Dix wrote? I think it was because, of course, he came in just on the tail end of that in the Traven yeah. era and immediately yes. wiped it away. He can write for, anything, can't he? For whatever yeah. reason that they'd come, they'd just done six of those in a row. Yeah. He then introduced, and season six isn't one of my favourites, but even bearing in mind the problems they have, but it is one thing you can't take away from it is how diverse it is. The different t- types of storytelling you get yes. through there. Mm. The same season has invasion, seeds of death, and the the mind robber. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess we can't really consider Brain of Morbius because it's so heavily rewritten by Robert Holmes. Uh, but we could perhaps chat about State of Decay. Have we got anything left to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, in which case, we'll, we'll, allow, um, we'll allow your Grumpcast to, uh, you, to, to have the you, last word on that one. You talk about it. I'll be absolutely honest with you. I don't think I've seen State of Decay since it went out in, whenever that was, 1980. So my memory of it is somewhat limited. I, th- I remember it being quite a good twist. I guess in the end, you sort of you sort of realise that it's all about vampires. It's sort of not necessarily clear at the start, at least in my memory of it. But yeah, I mean, I I I, I liked it well enough. It wasn't one of the standout stories of that season for me. If we pretended it was written for the position where it ended up as halfway through season eighteen, hmm. to me, it is a comforting 
moist and warm patch in a in a season of arid bafflegab. Hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's uh, I I think by virtue of what of Terence Dix's story and and script, hmm. I think it's just fine. It loses something in there that, that doesn't make it one of the great standouts. Hmm. Um, maybe some of the Adric shenanigans, maybe some of the production values, but with a few tweaks. I think it, it could be one of the great classics, and it's, yeah. c- it's cashing in on, oh, I hate the word, but uh, horror tropes, but I also feel it's one of those stories that you could actually lift out of that where it's positioned mid-season 18 and put it just about anywhere from the second season of Tom Baker right up to the modern day mm. with a few tweaks. I just feel it's that sort of story. I, I really love it. I, yes, don't, right, I, don't, I don't particularly love the serial as it stands, if you know what I mean. Mm. It's right, got it's such nearly potential. there. It's just that you can feel the the dread hand of Chris <laughs> Hamilton, <laughs> Hamilton Bibmid dragging it back down to the mire. Yeah. Was that a joke, Dix? Because I'll teach you to try and smuggle jokes through into my high-concept science fiction masterpiece. <laughs> which would have which would have fitted quite well with the sort of general horror tropes Mm, indeed (laughs) a silvery thin-skinned hand Mm. reaching out of a coffin lid and it's chb So, so one other thing we could talk about, but I don't think we can, were Terence's two stage plays, uh, Seven <laughs> oh. Keys to Doomsday and The Ultimate Adventure. Ooh. I mean, I, I've never seen either of them. I saw the second one. Okay. I, that's it. That's, and that's yeah, all I have I, to say. The Seven Keys to Doomsday, um, I've heard the big finish adaptation. It was pretty good. It works quite nicely. Um, I think I would have enjoyed seeing that as a kiddie winkle. Did they um, keep the songs in the big I, We shouldn't really have left the ultimate adventure till last because we don't really want to go out on a on the low point. We, I went to see it with the school Doctor Who group, as you as you do. Yeah. It's uh, to be honest, as well as proving that um, some concoctions, no matter how much you stir them, no matter how much you season them, <laughs> will never turn to something edible. <laughs> There's quite a lot of rubbish in it. I think um, you can you can get a you can get a package of the 1960 David Whittaker play Curse of the Daleks uh, yes. and the two Terences uh, Seven Keys of Doomsday and Ultimate Adventure for about a tenner or something they, that they would really almost pay you to take them off. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the first two make it worthwhile. Just use the Ultimate Adventure as a coaster uh. or, or a bird scare on the allotment and. Well, I have fond memories of the Ultimate Adventure. I mean, I, I would have been ten, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it had stuff in that I enjoyed seeing. I enjoyed seeing John Pertwee. Did you get to see John Pertwee, oh, Paul? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have to put up with. I, um, I saw it. I saw it twice. Tim, let's ah. leave it at that. Who was, <laughs> say, who was the Colin, other one you saw? Colin was better. Um, ah, f- I'm sure he would have been. I, I seem because to we're, we're all excited to see Colin. Um, being given a second chance and a version of his doctor, continuing that growth of his doctor into something that's actually watchable, yeah. <laughs> unlike the way you started. Yeah. So we're all excited by that. And but to be honest, I don't think John Pertwee, for all it was lovely to see him again, quite made the most. No, it was quite he, was very. He, he wasn't very comfortable. <coughs> in it. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. But I, I just have fond memories of seeing him and uh, mm. waiting oh. outside the stage door to get an autograph. And did you get one? 
Yes. Oh, and, lucky um, you. I think it was in a bad mood the night I was there. Anyway, <laughs> but you were the right age. I was completely the wrong age yeah. for this. I was 18 or something. And um, Very cynical. I, I remember being impressed with the laser and smoke show that was going on. The science, the science, uh, the sci-fi effects. I wonder if anyone did the hat trick of mm. um, Baker, Pertwee, and Banks. Mm. Mm. Well, mm. it was only if one night, wasn't it? For anybody out there, if you did the hat trick, uh, please get in touch. Yeah. And <laughs> we have a very special prize on offer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, any final thoughts before we uh, kick this into touch? Did he, did he write any big finishes, Paul? Uh, I don't... Well, mm, again, that's not really very fair. He did. He wrote a sequel to The Ultimate Adventure, which is... <laughs> <laughs> they oh never dear. commissioned him to, for anything... Uh, hang on, he might have written a, an episode of Sarah Jane Smith. They did some Sarah Jane Smith stories early on. Yes, that's I right. I think he wrote one of them. Yeah, they, I, they could have made better use of him. But there you go. But I think his work on the new adventures in the 90s and into the BBC books is mm. is very well thought of. Have mm. any either of you read any of them? Yes, but the, I mean, the, the especially one? the earlier ones, the, uh, the Virgin books. The um, he wrote one of the first four, didn't he? Which I read. Yonks and yonks yep, and yonks. Yep. Ago. Exodus. Exodus. Um, yeah. Most of his books were based on hmm. extrapolating ideas that they'd previously used on a TV program. So. They did quite a lot of the stuff with vampires. Blood Harvest is probably the best for my money. Mm. Where he sure. I'm very positive that it's a great skill he has of, of, like you say, doing the shopping list. I mean, he's not Terry Nation, is he? <laughs> Who would just repeat and recycle, repeat yeah, and yeah. recycle, repeat and no, recycle. He absolutely. He was a completely, no, he could, he completely could work more adept yeah. uh, he, writer. He's the opposite. He has more than one. He has as many plots as he has stories. He's not just rewriting yes. the same plot with different character names. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I've had a I've had a, a very nostalgic day. Mm. Yeah. Thinking about my youth, thinking about Terence's influence in it, and uh, it's very sad to see him go. But you know, these things happen. But by Jove, what a contribution he's made to this hobby we share. What a what a contribution <laughs> he has made. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, nice one, Terence. Yeah, I can't, I can't really top that. Uh, we should uh, raise a glass to him. That's what he would have wanted. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Someone else commented that he'll be sat on a cloud with with Barry chortling about um, <laughs> the 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 height of John Pertwee's bouffant all over <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, look, thanks for spending a bit of time to reminisce about that it's been fun and you know it's sad circumstances but it's always it's always good to remember the great times that we've had yes quite and so we'll be back with a with a something who proper in, in a few weeks time but we just wanted to give you, a, you know, some of our initial thoughts this evening as, as, as uh, that, that news sunk in so thanks uh, thanks tim uh thank you cheerio and thanks paul uh, yep bye for now and uh, and we'll be seeing you soon I forgot to say where I first met Terence. It would have been the Folkestone Literary Festival in 1990. And it's in the Grand Hotel, I'm sure you know it. And by an amazing coincidence, I was back in the Grand Hotel in Folkestone last week. 
with the wife and the local history society. And I hadn't been there since that day with Tony Sticks, and I was reminiscing. I was saying, oh, there was the room, there was the room. And it was, it was a proper literary festival, but he was presenting his bit mostly to children because he never forgot that it's supposed to be a children's programme. He was quite close to that, having, having worked on the novels. So two-thirds of the room was children, and then there was a load of us scruffy-looking Doctor Who fans at the back. And he, he steadfastly refused to pitch it to us. He just addressed it downwards to the children, going on about how great the first four Doctor Whos were. And then um, afterwards, I got his autograph and asked him if he wanted to be the producer of Doctor Who, because the position was vacant. And he said, why not? But it never happened. Is it the only headquarters under military... <laughs> if I had any idea where you were going, I'd try and help you with it. He's, he's trying to find uh, a different uh, way of saying uh, base uh, under siege. Can I... Can I go, oh! Go Is it the only... Um, uh, Military, uh, military I mean, headquarters. Under, no, is it the only headquarters under a sort of military ring fencing story that Terence Dix wrote?